Well, as we go through this series, Pastor Craig will hopefully join us next week as he's doing um, great and walking through his life, literally. Um, you continue, always pray for your pastor. There are things that you don't know, phone calls that you have no idea are going on. Just pray for that person in that position. Pray for everything that goes on in that kind of life. We're, uh, you're stuck with me one more week as we look through this foundation kind of issue. And I want to make sure we follow up with what we talked about last week, if you didn't hear us from last week. We're not just talking about the things that make up your life on the outside. We're talking about these fundamental issues that really shape you. And one of the issues we have in the church is we don't allow people to process that on their own. We kind of just say, well, just do what our family says or do what the Lord says. And we don't say, what are you building here? So last week we looked at this three-layered kind of thing, the outside stuff, the pretty stuff you have outside your house, the flowers, the windowsills, the wallpaper even, all that kind of stuff. And then we moved to the framing, and then we came down to the foundation. And there are two verses that kind of stuck out last week, if you remember. Um, one is that no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, Jesus Christ. Uh, the small group that just happened uh, over there for breakfast, the first question was, it's really hard to re-pour a foundation once you get the foundation in there. You can't lift up the house and rearrange it. And so what are the things that you've, up until this point of your adulthood, you had to go back and rearrange because the foundation was wrong? It may have been last year, God just spoke something in your heart. You're like, oh my gosh, I laid that completely wrong. I have to pick that, I have to pick all the stuff without having it fall apart. I've got to pick all this stuff that I built my life on. I've got to pick it up and I've got to rebuild the foundation. We don't want that to happen to you. And so you want to build these concepts that you're building from the ground up in a healthy way. And the second one is a verse we hear all all along is that from Psalm 127, that unless the Lord builds a house, any labor you're going to do is in vain. So people-driven ministry doesn't work. It has to be, what is God doing right now? How do we follow his lead? What's the Holy Spirit telling us? Uh, it, has to be, it has to be God-driven. It can't just be a certain personality or a certain season of life because we all go through seasons. I'm sure you're all now in the most successful season of your life. I'm sure. There's no struggles. Um, and if that's true, make sure you meet me afterwards and tell me how that works. And so you may have those verses down. Remember, we, we built this house last week and then scared some of you when we threw it on the ground. Um, we built this house last week, and we, we talked about all the different pieces of the house, and it's you and you're happy. Oh, man, somebody, the kids fell over. Come on. Let's raise these kids right. And uh, all the stuff you have in your house. And so you may be walking around as a believer, just kind of walking around saying, man, I got my life together. Here's what we're going to talk about this week. Here's another struggle you have as a believer. You're all settled in, and then your neighbor moves in. Okay? Your neighbor moves next to you, okay? And you're like, I am walking this life with God. I got my furniture. I got my kids. I got my sofa. I got everything done. Everything's done. And then, oh, look who comes in, Miss Barbie. And, uh, uh, and, and suddenly you compare your house to their house, your life to their life, your stuff to their stuff. Now, one of you in the relationship is a stuff person. Okay, I'm not going to mention who it is in my family, but look what I have now. Uh, look what we just bought this week. $10, don't know where it's going to go. Uh, 
One of you is the stuff person. One of you will walk and say, I need more stuff. And it could, by the way, it's not just guys and girls, because some of you women are in a house with, with somebody that looks simple, but he cannot pass a tool store or a fishing place or a computer thing. They just can't pass it. Other, usually it's, it's one or the other, you know. One of you, ha- let me say it this way, one of you has more receipts than the other. And it's obvious who that is, uh, you know, in your relationship. And so part of a relationship is trying to figure this out, um, is, is how do we not compare our stuff to their stuff and what is the stuff that goes into it? So we're going to look in a section of Scripture today that's going to point to that, but I want to I talk about how lucky we are and how much stuff we have. I looked at the stats from last year about world and us, and I just want to let you know just how blessed you are. Now that we're going to say today is about guilt. We're just talking about how God has blessed you. The median per capita household income, that means if you take the number of people in your house, okay, that are currently living there, whether you want them there or not, okay, multiply it by this number. That's how much you should be making to be at 50% around the world. $2,750. So in my house, there are two people. We'd be at the 50% mark if we took that 27500 and multiplied by two. If you are making more than that, you're richer than 50% of the world around you. Uh, in fact, if you personally make more than $7,800 a year, congratulations, you are among the 75% richest people in the world. It gets worse, by the way. $10,000 a year that you, you make with your job, $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the world. If you make more than $31,200 a year, congratulations, you are richer than 95% of the world. And if your combined income in your house is more than $50,000 a year and God's blessed you with that, you are part of the 1%. You're wealthier than 99% of the world. Again, nothing we're saying is about a guilt. We want you to see how much you're blessed. It's why we send people on mission trips. Because when I take people to places like Haiti and Dominican Republic, and I take them outside of the world, and they bump into people that literally live off of $2 a day, and they see the joy those people have. And then they have all this wealth, and they are so grumpy. They say, how can I get what they have? And usually it takes a day or two to come back. We always warn our parents when we go on international trips that are really impoverished areas that it's okay, your daughter will come back and she won't want to sleep on her bed. She'll want to sleep on the floor because she just saw hundreds of kids who sleep on the floor. And then she'll go, I want to sell all my stuff and get rid of it and give it all to poor people. And then two weeks later, she'll, you know, buy makeup or whatever. But, uh, but the reason we take you on those things is the bumpy, because I have never met somebody that that hasn't gone on an international mission trip that hasn't come back, and no matter where they're at on the Patriot line, hasn't come back and been like, I'm proud to be an American, or at least I get sweet tea, you know, whatever, whatever their thing is. They just know how blessed we are as a nation. Now, we understand the difference between our 99%, that 1% has a huge gap. You are not Amazon owning money. If you are, what are you doing for vacation? Because Summer and I would love to join you for... Uh, 
You know, you are not, you're not personally sending rockets up to Mars. You're not that kind of, you know, you don't have your own car company kind of money. But, but it is a good question because the, the, the question is, what do we do to build this up? How, how, do we, how do we not compare ourselves to that? Because eventually you end up being a person that's like, listen, I don't have an elevator or a slide that goes out of my bedroom into the pool. I'm pretty poor. And we can have this impoverished mentality instead of this blessing mentality. Uh, we're going to read today from 1 Tim- Timothy, uh, and we're going to read from this section of Scripture where Paul was talking to this young man. Um, so you can grab that in your own Bibles, or you can grab it on your phone app, or you can just see it on the screen. Um, and we're going to stand together and read this Scripture. This is, this is again Paul talking to Timothy and talking about this stuff to him and helping him walk through this. Timothy, by the way, as you're, as you're getting your scripture and finding that, Timothy was a young man. We went this weekend. We got in. Not, not, I don't think we were late last night. We were like 11 o'clock, 11.30. Yeah, okay. So we went this whole weekend down to First Baptist and, uh, and hung out there with 1,400 students. And there's a time they always bring the youth pastors into a room. And I sat in that youth room with all these youth pastors. And I'm like, man, there's something going wrong. They're now inviting, like, babies to lead youth ministries. You know, there's, like, 20-year-olds in here. You know, there's one other guy with gray hair. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, hey. Uh, this was advice to Timothy. Timothy was a young guy planting a church. And Paul's like, I only have a little bit to plant into him. How do I tell a young guy how to lead people that are much more mature than him? Okay. And so he shares just these three verses. We'll walk through them. I'd encourage you through the week to tear them apart, see what God says to you, not just what I'm saying to you. Let's start at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let me pray, and then we'll dig into that. Father, help us, just as Paul was trying to help Timothy, help us figure out what does that mean. Help us as people that are so blessed to figure out how to bless you. Guide us as we study your word together. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, as we talk about stuff, usually this might be called, uh, by the way, usually this might be called, like, we're going to do a stewardship series, which means you come back in March, generally. You're like, I'm not going to hang around while they talk about money the whole time. But, but if you don't know about your stuff, we think it's a good build-off of what we talked about last month, uh, there are roughly 20... 3,000, uh, uh, sorry, 2,350 verses that are about stuff in the Bible. Nearly 15% of everything Jesus spoke, the red letters in your Bible, were about stuff. 16 out of the 38 of his parables talked about stuff. And the only subject that Jesus talked more about than stuff was the kingdom of God. By the way, that's healthy, because that means we don't talk about stuff all the time. (laughs) That our stuff helps in our ministry towards the kingdom of God. That the church isn't about stuff. I don't know if you notice, when our service normally ends, Pastor Craig and I do not walk out front where where there's a white Cadillac, the door open up, and we walk in. We don't have that. 
stuff doesn't define us. The kingdom of God does. But then Jesus said, oh my gosh, there's a lot. And, and the Lord, as he built you, said, I'm going to give them stuff. And then they're going to get, wow, they're going to get way off track with stuff. I should probably talk a lot about it. So we're going to look at four principles today and look at how we can build it. A lifelong, healthy, and biblical perspective on our stuff. We are not telling you to get rid of your stuff. But we are asking you to get a different perspective on your stuff. That's the first thing. Scripture tells us to get a different perspective. It is not going to be the perspective of the friends that you love that are, that are around you. It's not going to be the perspective of your coworkers. It may not even be the perspective of some of your children. You will have to mentor them in this. You have to mentor them in this after you wrestle with it, by the way. It's a different angle, and it's hard to talk about. But it, it's critical that we walk through this. From verse 17, look at that in verse 17 there. As for the rich in the present, this present age. Okay, so we've established that. We're not talking about feelings. Fundamentally, we are the wealthiest of the world. That's just money. If you are struggling with that, please we're going to offer some stuff over the next year about how to, how to work through your finances, how to you know, balance your budget, that kind of stuff. We don't care what the numbers are, but if you're struggling with that, if you're under the 50%, let us know. We want to equip you. But the rest of us are above 50%. Therefore, we are the richest people in the world. Just like people in Germany would be, like people in Austria would be, people in Australia. As for the rich in this world, charge them two things. Don't be arrogant. We know the verses. God opposes the proud. Those toys you're showing off this year get wiped away by a hurricane three years from now. That great vacation house you, you, you bought can easily get taken away because you picked up a girl on the beach that you saw from your vacation house and your divorce went through. You are blessed. Just don't be arrogant about it. Don't be haughty about it. He also says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I don't know about you, but I've seen my wealth just incrementally increase, correct? No, there's ups and downs all the time. And then you retire and you go, how am I going to live off this, what I thought was a substantial bank amount? Wealth by its very nature goes up and down. If not, if you don't know that, please just follow the stock market. Just watch it. It's not, it's like, oh my goodness. First is don't be arrogant about it. Secondly, don't set your hopes on it because it's uncertain. And third, try and figure out how you can trust your stuff to God because he gave it to you to enjoy. Notice that last verse? The last part of that verse does not say he gave it to you to suffer and feel guilty about. He gave it to you to find some sense of joy. The, the modern conclusion about stuff is this. This stuff is my stuff, therefore I need more stuff. This stuff is my stuff, therefore I, like the boys on, the middle school boys on Wednesday night were so funny. I don't know what happened in school on Friday night uh, when they come in for basketball about a month ago. They came in, they took paper from school that should have been used to educate them, but they just cut it up into dollar-sized bills. And so they walked into the gym like, what's up? And they're like flaunting their money like they're in the club, like they're in a, like a hip-hop, you know, like video. Like, what up, what up, what up? And I still wanted to take a picture and just send it to them when they're 30. Like, remember when you were dumb? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just, even if they don't know Jesus, just catch them later on and be like, hey, I got this picture of you flaunting around paper. You, you do know your money is just paper. 
We just color it better and secure it better. Don't get in the mindset that just if you had more stuff, your hope would increase. That's the difference between, by the way, buying and owning. All y'all that, that came out of an apartment into a house got a big wake-up, huh? As soon as you bought that house, you're like, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to replace the roof. Me, myself, and I. Golly, I'm the one that has to pay the bills. It's this great awakening to adulthood. When that dryer dies, no one's going to replace it. I have to replace it. Sometimes more stuff makes more stress. The biblical reminder of this is, is found in Psalm 24. It's the foundation of this idea about stuff. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The confusion is, is that is not your stuff. You are simply leasing it for 80 years. And when the Lord calls you home, it's somebody else's stuff. The circle of life is just your stuff, not your soul. <laughs> your soul goes to meet the Lord. You don't come back around again. But your stuff, mm-hmm, come and see our yard sale. You'll see stuff that was critically important that is selling for a dollar or a quarter. So as believers, if you get that mindset in your head, and you say, this is not my stuff, I am leasing it from the Lord. I don't know about you. Uh, some of our students are driving now, which is a little bit scary. Um, but uh, but I saw, they all showed me like their license and their like, you know, permits the other day. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. I'm going to double my insurance. And, uh, um, and, and I don't know about you, but my parents did not share their stuff with me. They were just from a different generation. And so when I sat in their car to learn how to drive, I was not going like, what's up? I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to kill me if I dent this car. It, you ever hear in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? What's the Lord's response when I mess up all my stuff and he has to hand it to somebody else messed up? What's the Lord's response when I mess up my marriage? because I just thought it was a toy to play with. When I mess up raising my kids, because I thought they were for my ego. What, by, the time, by the way, by the time we get to uh, high school ministries, we, we, we slowly unfriend parents, because we start saying to them, instead of how are you doing raising your kid, we say, how are you doing raising an adult? Because we don't need more kids in the world. We can make more of those. But at some point in your brain as a parent, you have to say, oh, this is going to be an adult someday. We went on a mission trip one time, and, uh, and the, the one mom went along. She was awesome. She's one of those, you know, we need people on mission trips to just go along to go along. This is a ministry a long time ago. We traveled thousands of miles to get this place, and the, the high school guy came out. And there was a dad along who was not that kid's dad. He was a construction guy. The mom was, like, just a loving person because, sadly, I'm not loving. And... Um, and this kid came out and he goes, Mom, did I pack any clean underwear? The construction guy's like, boy, you are 17 years old. If your mom is still playing with your underwear, and just like went off. And I was like, ah. <laughs> but we know we return everything to God. You'll return your kids to God. They have to have their adult life. That home you have, you may eventually sell and move into a smaller home because all your kids left. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. More importantly, the world is the Lord's and all who live in it. 
That's why we don't do people-led ministries. We do spirit-led ministries. Where is God speaking to you right now? Because people have a shelf life, but the will of God endures forever. So with you, what's your, what's your perspective on your stuff? Is it just like the world, this stuff is my stuff? I hope I get more stuff. Or are you on a leasing platform with the person who actually owns the stuff? Here's the second thing. Scripture calls us to have the right relationship then with it. Not just a perspective of what it is, but how do we relate to it? Um, I don't know about you. I've met many um, uh, women that some of them had this Barbie house. Others have not. But I've also met two types of women. One set of women could play Barbie. Like you could give them two Barbies and they'd like, dee, 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 dee. and others, they just didn't care. They like, like didn't know how to have pretend conversations. It's not like a mental disability. It's just like, you know, they didn't know how they relate. They just like go to their friends, like, you want to play Barbie? They're like, I guess. Having stuff doesn't mean you even play with it well. Scripture calls us to have a, the right relationship. As you look at that verse that Paul was sharing, um, he challenges us with this. He says, store up treasures for yourself as a good foundation for the future. Ooh, you do not know what the foundation for your future looks like until you get to be about 40 or 50 and say, I may have to retire someday. Then suddenly those bank accounts look completely different. Those of you that are retired, that's a great ministry, by the way, where you can mentor younger people saying, not just say, how are you doing today? Say, how are you doing with life? Are you ready for retirement? And the obvious answer will be like, no way. <laughs> but notice the back half of that verse. Okay, so I have my stuff. I want it to be a foundation for my future. But I may be missing out on what is truly life because my stuff is in the way. Stuff may get in the way of having a true life. The modern confusion is the more stuff I gain, the more life I gain. And it's hard because there's really fun stuff and really good stuff. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 is this blessing of the Lord um, before the fall. And this is, I think, the foundation of this because we enculturate this verse. We make it an American verse. God blessed them. Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All those things are great. Go do life. Multiple. What you have, multiply it. All these students, do you think we need two bass players in a band? Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you play bass, yeah. We need like five. Uh, no, we are a teaching church. We were joking that we forced Gar sometimes to edit instead of mix. Uh, it's really frustrating. We has to go down and up instead of just going, oh, they're all awesome. We were teaching church. We want to have multiple people. Lily's learning guitar wasn't plugged in today. She's learning because we're multiplying. One of our students is really busy investing in dance and investing in other people, and so she couldn't play drums. So guess what? Chelsea went from playing violins to drums. Good luck. Hope it all works out. We want to multiply. What little we have, we multiply. Whatever we have, we have fruit from it. But the second half, subdue and have dominion in it. Ooh, that's where we get. Mm. 
I don't know if you grew up in a house where pretty much I knew it wasn't my house and I knew who the man of the house was and it wasn't me. Here's the problem. Um, English is such a sloppy kind of simple language that when we read the Bible, we just translate it into our culture. Um, uh, we only have like maybe two words for snow, snow and slush. I usually add evil. Um, but... Uh, um, but there are cultures that have multiple words for snow. The Inuit people have over 500 words for snow. Uh, subdue and dominion are not what you think they are. The words that's used when the earth is the Lord and all that's in it in Hebrew is, is a word that, that, that speaks to authority in itself. This idea that God has the actual authority over it. It's martial, like, like, like a sky marshal. M-A-S-H-A-L. Just skip that last L. And it says God, because of his character, owns everything. This word is not that fancy. I'm sorry. It's, it's rada. And you know what it kind of translates to? You're the part-time evening help. Rada means you manage something for its good, not for your good. So subdue and dominion both come off of that verb, and it means I subdue the population of deer in Florida because if they get too many, they'll all starve and die. It's conservatorship. I have dominion over my house because if not, my child will go off on a path that will literally kill them. It's for their sake. So we are managers of our wealth. It's not about gaining stuff. It's about managing it. And that is not as dramatic, but it is essentially true. Because can I mention that we went, uh, well, the, only, the only comment I'm going to have to the thing we went this weekend, it was wonderful, but on Saturday night, they did a great giving to Samaritan's Purse. And the only comment I'm going to send back is, because they always ask and we follow up, 1,400 students there just hearing the gospel and worshiping, is you probably shouldn't do giving after you spent the Saturday at Disney Springs in the mall with teenagers. You know, they're like, we should help people. And you're like, uh, we don't have any money left. Teenagers just spend it. When you get a budget, you got to manage it. And if you're good at managing $1, you manage $100. Third thing, really quickly, our, it calls not just for our relationship and not just from our perspective, but it calls for our right response. Verse 18 says a real strategic, by the way, if you are discipling people, this is a path. They are to do good, they are to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to share. So you first come to know Jesus, and suddenly a voice in your head says, don't just not be bad, start doing good. This, by the way, is why we should, as believers, as much as possible, align ourselves and bump next to and serve alongside those people that don't believe in Jesus but do good, because we can then say why we're doing the good. You get it? Like, the people that are complete atheists that are doing good out there, we come and volunteer and work under them and say, how can we help you out? They say, why are you here? Well, because Jesus tells me to not just not be bad. He tells me to do good. As you start doing that as young believers, you start blessing your kids instead of cursing them. As you start blessing your spouse instead of struggling with them. As you start investing in people, you start having this richness of good works behind you. And you start saying, wow, I actually, I can see God working. Stage two. Stage three is 
that it suddenly starts transferring to your stuff. You start saying, if God's blessing my time, God's blessing my conversations, and I see this legacy of wealth that came out of my physical work, my, my volunteering, my talking, what if I applied that to my stuff? We have a rule at my house. I can take almost anything from the house as long as I can afford to replace it from my church budget for youth ministry, which has generally become a rule if I don't take stuff from the house because I'm going to break it. But there's a ton of stuff that we leverage in our house towards ministry all around this area that you'll never see. Uh, Christmas Day, when we had all these extra gifts around, my wife was like a, a bumbling, crazy person going around to all the people we talk to when we run and walk. She's handing out people. She learned Spanish just to reach out to people from this church. She's over in the trailer park that's across the way, bumping into people and practicing her Spanish so she could hand them a blessing and say it was from this church Come here and meet Jesus. Your stuff. There wasn't even a question if I could take the beautiful Barbie house and use it for a sermon illustration. I mean, there are some questions about me, but not using it. Here's three verses that you're going to struggle with, but it's all about this. Because the world says the more stuff I keep, the better I manage it. And here's three verses that really will challenge you how you think about your stuff. By the way, we're not telling you what to do with your stuff. We just want to lay the, the framework that God lays out in the Bible. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first portion of it. In other words, it shouldn't be your last thought. It should be a part of your budgeting process. Then the, the next thing that's biblical law, and Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not get rid of the law. 10% of everything belongs to the Lord. Not just, and that would have been great if he shared that, but then he had to add this. It's holy to the Lord. It's sacred to the Lord. And Malachi is talking with people that are struggling just, just like you and I would struggle with this. And they say, well, how have we robbed God? He said this, because you haven't brought in your tithe or your contributions. Bring in your 10% and then test me with the nine that are left. Here's the idea. This is not this sense of a church telling you we need more, more money. This is a biblical pattern of budgeting that we'd encourage you to do whether it's at this church or whether you ever attend a church. We would say to you, if you make $10, if you put that $1 to the side, you're going to manage the $9 so much better. This is called adulthood. You don't wait to pay your mortgage, do you? I hope not. You don't wait to pay your electrical bill. You budget for your electric bill. Here's the problem with all this. You have to really pray, and we encourage you to do this, by the way. Pray and discern if this is the house of God where that goes to. Because once you do that, it's easy. All I can tell you is people have given over the past year. A portion of that money went to the student ministry. A portion of that money went to pay for kids that didn't have $25 to go on this retreat this weekend. Others, you've seen them. They've been in there cleaning off your dishes and, and working with the food so that they could raise money. So that last night, 1,400 students and, and their leaders could be worshiping God and kneeling down, 1,400 students kneeling down and repenting for all the stuff that doesn't match up to God's stuff. We think that's worthy. <laughs> 
It's why we ask you to come to church council meetings, why we ask you to come to budget meetings, because we don't want to waste your money. The harder struggle is not the 10%. The harder struggle is figuring out if you have a church that's worth the 10%. Figure that out, please. It may not be First Baptist Wildwood. Because that money is not ours, it's the Lord's. By the way, I, I've known a few people that have jumped to the 10% and they're amazing. I've had other people go like, let's just start with 1%, you know? <laughs> and then they get comfortable with that and they start budgeting off 1%, they go to 2%. Other people just trust God and they're like 10% and they test God and God shows up as faithful. We don't need your money. We need people to come to Jesus. Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide the money. We just want you to have the right relationship with your stuff, which is the last part. The last part is simply this. Your attitude. The modern confusion is this. The right amount would make me comfortable. Lord, if you just win me a million dollars, I'll definitely invest in people. We see that nowhere in Scripture. We see the widow hand over her, her little mite. We see the disciples give up their jobs to go see Jesus. We see the smallest amount matter because the attitude matter. Here's the last verse we want to leave you with because it's so not a condemning service about here's our budget for the year. How do we meet our budget? You should consider tithing, all that kind of stuff. It's this verse. Everyone should give what they decide in their hearts to give. Not reluctantly. Not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. There's enough stuff. We love when people, by the way, stop by the CMC on Wednesday night and say, hey, I have this extra cake. Do you think the children will eat it? Yes, they will. <laughs> like, just sit it out there, and it'll disappear like ants, you know. We love when people just give pragmatic stuff to ministry, but they have to do it out of joy. And sometimes the joy is taken out of giving because you don't know what it's affecting. You notice that when we do announcements, we say, hey, can, after your general giving, after we keep the electric on, here's some special things that go above and beyond because we keep the lights on so that we can reach people. We were loading up the kids. The boys came over for basketball that didn't read the sign that it was closed, of course. So they came over, can we play for like 10 minutes? I'm like, you got a half hour? What are you guys doing? We're going down to Orlando. You're going to Orlando? Can we go? I'm like, yeah, but we're going to talk about Jesus stuff there. Oh, man. <laughs> Two months from now, we're going to take them kids that don't care about Jesus to go see the Harlem Globetrotters. And they'll ask, Why, why'd you do that? And we're going to tell them, Jesus. So the next year, hey, can I go to that thing in Orlando with you? And can I meet Jesus? If you think a place is worthy of it, put your stuff into it. I am in no way saying First Baptist Wildwood is. <laughs> it may be. We work really hard to try and make it be. But imagine what you could do with a Barbie house. I got to tell you, it's the same thing you could do with this house. I sat down at dinner with somebody who lived in this kind of house. There were missionaries back, and I sat with them, and all I did was watch them. They were weird. They prayed before their meal. They hugged each other afterwards. Weird. It's so simple. 
but they took all their stuff and cheerfully used it for ministry. Let's do that together so that God would be praised. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd move us in that way as the students join us again just to close in worship in glorifying your name. We'd ask that you would be honored and glorified, that your name would be praised. Father, we ask that your name would be on our hearts. The people at our work would know we're, we're the ones that are going to share our sandwich. We're the one that's going to invest in their family. Help us to be those kind of people that we don't get defined by stuff, but we're defined by you and the gospel. That in all things, your name will be praised. That people would look at us and say, why do you do that? Why do you live with all the blessings, with such a simple heart? And our answer could be Jesus. Help us to live a life that's worthy. Help us to treat our stuff in a way that's worthy. That in all things, you be praised. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.